I want to talk about Jägermeister. Dad, what do you know about Jägermeister? I mean, well, really, all I know, it's got a really awesome stag logo. What, what else do I need to know about Jägermeister? Well, uh, you should know that you've been drinking it all wrong this entire time. Damn, that's cold. There's a right and wrong way to drink it? Yes, there is, Dad. You should be drinking it ice cold at zero degrees Fahrenheit, to be exact. Huh? Well, you know what? That explains a lot. I've just been pulling it straight off the shelf. Oh, Dad, I'm so glad I got to you in time. No, that is entirely wrong. The only way to serve Jägermeister is ice cold. So wherever you're at, if you're hanging out with friends or you're at the bar or you're helping your dear sweet father try and get right, call the shots. Cheers with ice cold shots of Jägermeister. Damn, that's cold. And remember to check out Jägermeister at www.draftkingsxjägermeister.com. Remember, drink responsibly. Jägermeister liqueur, 35% alcohol by volume. Imported by Mast Jägermeister US, White Plains, New York. Lots of things go better together. Hockey, food, golf, peanut butter and jelly, Gojo and Golik, Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey. What? But if you really want to take things to the next level, drink some Labatt Blue Lights with your friends and live life to the power of we. Always enjoy responsibly. Beer, Labatt USA, Buffalo, New York. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you will hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Gojo with Mike Golick Jr. That is me. With me, as always, a fellow member of the non-national champion club, Brandon Newman. Brandon, what's going on? <laughs> the few, the proud, the ones that haven't won a national championship. The, hey, you know the what? majority. I can say it's an exclusive club full of a lot of people. Uh... Thank you, as always, for downloading, subscribing, rating, reviewing, wherever you get your podcast, leaving us a five-star rating and a review, and checking us out on the DraftKings YouTube channel here. Uh, this is going to be largely a national championship reaction pod. Yes. I just got back from SoFi at the game, which was, who, buddy, Brandon, from start to finish, not the best day of college football the doctor ever ordered. Okay, before we get into that game, where do you think the Venn diagram is of national championship winners and progressive car rental people? Because in a lot of like NCAA puts a lot of oh the like going pro in something other than sports. Yes, yes, we'll pick you up. So I would say national champions, you're more likely to have the future Stetson Bennett's of the world that are not mm. working at a rental car place but are selling you cars. 
probably okay. gently used cars at a very affordable price at a dealership near the area they went to college forever being able to draw off the fame and fortune that comes with being now a two-time national champion if you are the georgia bulldogs hey he, he might go ahead and open up a cigar place around the corner shit at this point mm. stetson bennett if you are going to be in the area anywhere around athens or atlanta georgia i have a feeling you will be able to do no wrong like that dude midas touch from here on out midas touch there ain't much you can say about dude it's it, okay, I know we're going to get into the game, Mike, but it is a little bit like watching Magic or like David Blaine. We're like, I know I'm seeing it, but I don't. It's hard to believe what I'm seeing. Yeah, I, I want to have a conversation about Stetson Bennett. I want to have a conversation about where this Georgia team now ranks as, if anyone had missed it, the Georgia Bulldogs or your 2023 college football playoff national champions by a final score of 65 to 7 against the TCU Horn Frogs. And Brandon, on a rainy day in Southern California at a SoFi stadium that was not entertaining tailgating, this one from start to finish was thoroughly out of hand. Okay, so how L.A. was it compared to how college football it, it was? Because you've done a lot of both recently. Yo, I mean, this was... You know what? I, I said to a lot of people going into the game, because I had been to SoFi about a month ago for the Chargers and uh, Dolphins Sunday night football game, and that was the game where it was eye-opening. I had never been to a Chargers home game. I put home in air quotes because that was a Dolphins home game, and I yes. learned everything that people have been saying about that, and it's not to rub Chargers fans' nose in it. It's just the reality of the situation. That was Miami Dolphins home game in that stadium, and I said I was excited to hear what it was like to see an actual like fully throated crowd in that stadium because both Georgia and TCU were incredibly well represented in there. It was like when you get to watch the Rose Bowl or you get to watch the Red River game and you see a perfect split down the yes. middle of the stadium of colors and obviously purple and red pop really well. Both really well represented, both very loud to start this game and in the immediacy before. I mean, TCU fans at the beginning of this as they're showing guys up on the video board that purple was loud when max duggan got up on the screen the heisman trophy one up that shit was loud in there so they were both really well represented and that part was incredibly college football everything else about it you're in this incredibly nice state-of-the-art stadium there hadn't been a lot of game day atmosphere around one because as you know getting to sofi around inglewood is kind of difficult doing it in game day traffic is kind of difficult and it's pissing down rain all day so all those things kind of lent it to a little bit more of a sterile sort of nfl type atmosphere going into the stadium so you're telling me the good people from georgia and the good people from texas traveled to los angeles and got rain yes Ma a lot of massively disappointed people from the uh south of the mason dixon yes <laughs> and and in a a uh semi-domed roof I, I heard at the end of the broadcast that only tcu's side was getting rained on yes it was really adding insult to injury because sofi is a canopy so it's covered on top but the sides up there are opened up a little bit and so you get the breeze going through but not much else but once that rain started to kick up with the wind at the end the entire top of the tcu section was getting absolutely thumped by rain Terrible. Hate to see it, and because you know the wind in LA is frigid, so uh, you know it's it's hard when it's cold and wet. 
it, it, everything about that experience was hard in that game, Brandon. And it was one where I know we talked about the excitement level going into this game. And for a lot of people who looked at the semifinal matchups and what we had gotten there, really compelling games, comeback wins uh, on one side for Georgia over Ohio State in a game that I think a lot of people looking back on, Brandon, are going to do the thing in retrospect where they say that was probably the national championship game. If you were looking mm. for the two quote-unquote actual best teams talent-wise in college football that when they played their best football game were going to give us the most competitive outcome, it was probably Georgia and Ohio State. But that's not how this shit works. That's not how sports work. And as people clamor all the time for tournament formats, what they like about March Madness or the NFL playoffs, this is what you ask for. This is part of the drill. And so this is what you get. A sport with, like a lot of other things, imperfect outcomes. You're not going to see any sport that does any form of tournament play that gets you a perfect outcome where these are the only two teams that we think are best. At some point, even for the people that want to obviously, and I'm sure I'll be fascinated to see where Alabama gets ranked when this podcast comes out today in the final season poll after what they did to Kansas State in the Sugar Bowl, they still went out there and lost a couple of games this year. And that's just what... some of the sport it's always that combination of best and most deserving is about what you do on the field and if you screw up along the way in this sport you forfeit the chance to go after the title and that's just the reality of the situation tcu earned their way in here by going undefeated by getting that big time or going undefeated up until the big 12 championship game and then finding their way in and beating soundly the number two ranked team in the country in the michigan wolverine so i'm not going to take that appearance away from them even if talent wise we can admit Alabama, Ohio State, and Georgia, like we knew going into the season, were probably the three most talented teams in the country. Yes, but we were kind of rooting for the TCUs of the world. The uh, hell yeah, like the, the the team that hadn't been there in a grip was in 1938. The last time they went to the national, they last yeah. time they won a national championship game, and I learned that Davey O'Brien, the quarterback award trophy, was a TCU quarterback in the broadcast. Like, oh, that's fun to know. (laughs) Back at home at TCU. And you know what? I think that's a good thing to remember here is this was also, and I was talking to Marshall Newhouse, friend of the podcast, TCU alum, about some of the metrics they run in this, about the added exposure for TCU overall. And it's like billions of dollars worth of exposure that that school got Mm. and that program got. And that's what we talk about in the expanded playoff conversation so much is bigger stage, which can then lead to more resources, more donation, bigger recruiting, all things that might eventually help to lift a program like that to being more of a contender but the message that we saw in this game brandon was georgia right now is exactly what this we described them to be they are the new bama on the block they are a program that is built up over time the depth of their recruiting the ari wasserman stars matter fully evident and on display there and brandon it's not in top end talent as much as it is this the depth the wave after wave that they can throw at you in this game because we talked about it and i said it as soon as this matchup got announced This all looked very familiar, right? The unranked team to start the season who ends up in a championship matchup against the SEC champion who's trying to go back-to-back. 2012 Notre Dame and 2022 TCU. And the one thing I said to TCU people when I talked to them in the lead-up was... The quicksand in this game, if you get behind, feels Mm. different. Because you recognize the gravity of the moment. When you walk into this game and you're getting ready all week and every time you turn on the TV, there ain't shit else college football-wise for people to talk about. It is you and it is them. 
And when you haven't been in the you and them game before, I promise Mm. you, you feel the eyes. It's just different. I don't know how else to explain it other than if you've ever been in a room where you walked in and everyone stops talking and you realize they were talking about you. Imagine that in the media coverage all the time. They're talking about you and you get in that stadium and they kick off and you see the flashbulbs like the Super Bowl and like the national title that you've watched on TV since you were a kid. You were okay. Like I remember, oddly enough, being the most calm I have ever been. The national title was the only game when we played in the BCS title. For anyone that doesn't remember, we played against Alabama in the BCS title and probably the biggest ass whooping before this one in modern BCS and championship history. And that was the only game I started in that I didn't throw up before insanely calm after all the preparation insanely calm didn't matter but was insanely calm despite knowing all of that until the bad things happened in that game and for us it was review on a first down for tyler eifert going out of bounds they ended up saying he didn't catch it even though we thought he did and then alabama muffed a punt we almost recovered but didn't and you only get as the lesser talented team so many cracks at this thing before the dam breaks and for tcu brandon i go back to in this game it was in the first quarter of this game TCU got all the way to midfield. It was like third and 17. And I heard someone next to me in the press conference in the press box ask the question, if you pick up 10 yards here, do you think about going for it? And sure enough, TCU ran a play. At that point, I think they were only down maybe one, maybe two scores. And they picked up about 10 yards on that plane. It was about fourth and six, and they were on the opposite side of the field. They were in plus territory, and they ran the punt unit out on there. And I said, there is no way, as the team that's a two-touchdown underdog in this game, that you can go and punt in that moment. You have got to burn the boats, and when you miss opportunities like that, and then Georgia on the other side is able to go there and continue to do what they do on offense, which was every they wanted in this game that's the spot where you miss your opportunities like i I always make blackjack analogies you got to hit splits and doubles early in this shit you cannot sit back and do that when you are the lesser talented team and at that moment i knew things probably weren't going to go very well for tcu no no and uh shout out to sunny dykes friend of the pod who was here about a month ago and he mentioned that there's no stage too big for max duggan and at that moment, I feel like that may have been the case. Until we got to the national championship stage, Mike, where we saw him airball a couple of wide open receivers a little bit, a little bit careless. And I think the biggest difference is you if you got if you if you watch the show or if you watch the championship and wasn't there, like Mike, you remember Holly Rowe asking Kirby Smart. What are you going to do at the beginning of this game? Like, what's the most important thing? And he said, be aggressive. And then looked at her like, what next question? And that's exactly what Georgia was doing. And the fact that the punt team came out for TCU that early in the game when they were down 10-0 at that, I remember that, is a perfect example of they – TCU did not exude aggressiveness at any point in time in this game. No. I mean, shit. I I don't know if it's verified or not, but we have, in theory, another bit of leaked Kirby Smart locker room audio of him giving that pregame speech. I'll tell you what. There are few people on this earth. Brandon, you know the anatomy of a good pregame speech is hard to find, and that man has mastered the art. Yes. Okay. Uh, Let's let's, let's go back to... uh, I can't remember who said it on this podcast, but they talked about being ready to play for Dan Campbell. Yes. 
Okay, when I heard Dan Campbell's post game speech after after the Packers lost or after they beat the Packers and took him out of the playoffs, I was ready to play. Like I was like, oh shit! Like I, I I feel like oh damn, I should have ate more vegetables. Like I'm ready to get back in the game. What's the XFL tryouts like? And then I heard that Kirby Smart when I was like, ooh, I went to the wrong college. Not that I did go to the wrong college, <laughs> but like it felt like I was like, ooh, like what if I got this there? Yeah, it's it, that's a different level of juice. That's the moment where I think any former player go, man, I'd like to play for that guy. Because yes. it was all about what you just said in his interview with Holly Rowe is, hey, we've done all the work now. Like going into the championship game, you put the game plan in last week. You're out here ironing out details there. Mm. And at some point then, and Kirby Smart, to his undying credit, one of the best coaches in college football right now, because he understands, I am going to recruit better players than everyone else. We are better resourced. We are better staffed. We recruit better players. And then I cut them loose to rain holy hell on people. And you just saw them play fast, downhill, and hit the shit out of everything that moved. Okay, Mike, but I have to have a question. And I don't want to take away from the game too much. But how did this happen? Like, honestly, you follow college football so closely. How did Georgia leapfrog Alabama in the recruiting race well I think part of that is geographic location right they have proximity to Atlanta which is a mate like you're always going to be somewhat at the mercy of where current recruiting hotbeds lie and Mm. also your ability to put the post up around that I forget who we were talking to on this podcast it might have been when Ryan Nanny was on talking about how Florida is a place that's kind of divided up right now you've got Florida State you've got Florida you got Miami one person's not going to win all of that real estate one person I know Alabama is going to come in there and plenty of other people can get there but georgia can put it up around atlanta if they want to and kirby came in and followed the nick saban model of we are going to have a robust support staff you see all those pictures that we talk about in college football the team pictures everyone make sure you look if your favorite school in that picture isn't about doubled up of support staff like two for every one player in uniform on the team Mm. you're probably not doing it the same as the teams that are at the top level of this right now because that's the kind of army they have going into all this so you combine that with their ability to recruit in a talent rich area to show hey early on you know going back to like 2017 get into the championship we're going to be proximal to that we're going to put guys in the nfl on our system and kirby's defense you're going to run nfl shit todd munkin's offense you're going to run nfl shit we're going to give you sunday opportunities it's all the saving stuff in there before you even get to whatever you think they're throwing at him in the nil world whatever you think they were paying them under the table or anything we want to ascribe to successful teams in college football like they just said hey this is a place where football matters and then lay out a plan of here's how i believe we can execute on something based on what i was a part of and what we have here readily available to us okay so how do you uh dissect this ass whooping like what's what's interesting so i I think what's really interesting in this game the thing that stood out to me in the early going when they were separating before the floodgates popped off because again i always said title game quicksand you feel it all of a sudden where you're looking around for someone to bail it out there. You saw the title game quicksand set in sometime around like the second quarter. I think um, I think I heard the stat in the press box. 17 points in the first quarter was the most points scored in a first quarter in the CFP titles history. Wow. So they came out of the gates blazing hot. And the first thing I thought, Todd Munkin called an exceptional game, their offensive coordinator. 
yeah. gave them a little bit of everything. You saw it in the opening script. Multiple formations, multiple shifts and motions, a bunch of different run looks. Georgia has a very, much like Alabama, has long since been lauded for. Really diverse run game where they do a lot of different stuff. They run counters. They run outside zones. They run two-back sets. They threw play-action passes off of that. They had everything in there to gather information, and the info they got back was, it's all working tonight. Like that TCU defense just – and and they used – tempo they changed that up they got to the line quick and then snapped quick they got and used double cadence they gave them everything brandon it was such a hyper prepared unit on offense especially Uh, it it was crazy to see because usually there's a rhythm for stuff like that but to see like a quick huddle going straight to a formation that was already set and then they would come out in like 22 or 21 or 23 and then motion and make and then it was four wide out of nowhere it was like it would happen. So TC was still getting lined up while Stetson Bennett was deciding. And I'll say this about Stetson Bennett. He makes decisions quick. Yes. He makes decisions fast. He sees that shit and he goes. Dude, Stetson, we, we'll, we'll have the Stetson Bennett conversation. Very good college quarterback. Like, what if what you're looking for in a college quarterback, I think is in part exactly what you described. Quick decision maker, dual threat. Like, if you have those things with the amount of talent you've got on that Georgia offense, you're going to have yourself a really good accomplished quarterback. And Stetson Bennett is going to end up being one of the most, if not the most accomplished Georgia quarterbacks in the school's history in terms of the hardware that he's gone home with. Like, you look at Stetson Bennett's resume, and both years they've been in the college football playoff now in the back-to-back years. The 2021 Orange Bowl MVP, the semifinal game they played in on offense. The 2022 college football playoff national title MVP. This year, Peach Bowl, their semifinal offensive MVP. This year, 2023 national title MVP here. He was the Burlesworth Trophy winner for the best former walk-on. Two-time SEC champion here. He's got all the accolades you could hope for, even if as we look at him, we obviously don't see future NFL star quarterback. Like, that's readily apparent to everyone. It's not a slight on the young man. It's the reality of the situation, but he maxed out his ability, and he was in a situation that allowed him to do exactly what you talk about. We saw his legs affected that game right away. Michigan fans had to be sick to their stomach watching how quickly Georgia got to the quarterback run that the Wolverines decided to put on the shelf until the third quarter in that game against TCU. It was unbelievable. Believable. I, I I know we said we'll have our Stetson Bennett conversation elsewhere. But we're, we're, we can have it now. Like what? I, the, the 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 stat line of what he's done in the playoffs alone is so crazy, and I can't find it. But it was like over a thousand yards, like fifteen touchdown passes, uh, zero interceptions, X amount of rushing touchdowns. Like it, it, it's he. T- we're going to talk about college football Hall of Fame stuff later, right? Yeah. But it, it was it's Tebow esque stuff. It's like what was it before Tebow? Ryan Leak? Like it was like our Leaf or whatever shit was. It, it, it's it it looks like it's coming from. I don't understand it, it, that body. It's that body, Mike. It's that that cubicle body making these plays that just has me confused. So 
per ESPN stats and info, Stetson Bennett's 21-yard touchdown run is the second longest rush TD by a quarterback in a national championship game in the CFP or BCS era. So going back to 1998, only outdone by Jalen Hurts' 30-yard touchdown rush in the 2017 game. And again, we do not regard Jalen Hurts and Stetson Bennett as similar athletes. Rightly so. Stetson Bennett also broke Aaron Murray's single-season Georgia passing record, which was 3,893 yards in 2012. Like, he is going to walk out of there the likely the most decorated Georgia quarterback. I'm sure, I haven't looked it up, but I'm sure Stafford's probably got some wild shit in there too. But in general, this guy managed to accomplish more than most quarterbacks in college football ever will. He is, according to, again, ESPN Stats and Info, just the third quarterback to rush for multiple touchdowns in a BCS or CFP game, joining Craig, uh, Craig Krenzel and Vince fucking Young. Oof. So, yeah, like an unassailable resume, even if like we can all have the honest conversation, he is not going to be a starter in the NFL. That is not a world that I am going to entertain, but he can probably stick around and be a backup. He can probably cash some checks for a while before he becomes Stetson Bennett, the owner of a fine bunch of Kia dealerships or whatever the shutdown full cast bid is around the greater Athens area. He's currently older than Tua, Justin Herbert, Jalen Hurts, Trevor Lawrence and Brock Purdy. Right? That, Bro, he's, huh? he's a grown-ass man handling his grown-ass business on this grown-ass team. <laughs> that is what Stetson Bennett did in this it game. It is. I, I, I jokingly tweeted during the show, but I was like, the fact that he is not afraid that any of these offensive linemen will eat him shows how much trust he has in those guys. Like, like he's looking up at walls around him. Again, if you've got that little guy on a team full of the Monstars, imagine the shit he has had to do to earn their respect along the way. Brandon, the other part of this, it's ironic that we talk about old man Stetson Bennett in the same Mm. breath we're going to talk about the other like impressive offensive force in this game, which was Brock Bowers. Brock Bowers, star tight end, winner of the Mackey Award over our beloved Michael Mayer, which I still don't fully agree with, but... There's no denying he's going to be the first tight end taken in next year's draft. And it feels criminal that a guy in the national championship game who went off for seven catches for 152 yards and a touchdown and was completely unguardable. Like that was the story in the passing game is, yeah, there were a bunch of wide open guys. But when it came to my better is better than your better plays and jump balls, you were getting sauced by got Brock Bowers and a guy named Lad McConkey. Lad. That is the Georgia Lad. way. Lad. I, I, that, I'm finally glad I, I got his name. I mentioned last time we talked about George on this podcast, I said it looked like Stetson Bennett was throwing to his stuff. He was passing the ball to Lad. Yes. That's the thing. Like, you were, like, imagine having to explain to your kids that you got your ass beat by a guy named Stetson and a guy named Lad, and they were legitimately incredible <laughs> players. Couldn't do nothing with him. Couldn't couldn't do a damn th- a damn thing with him in that Brandon. So and uh, again, so Georgia just looked like every bit of what I described. Like when I made the the comparison at the beginning, part of that is understanding Kirby and Nick are cut from the same cloth. That being Nick Saban, who was enjoying his seat next to Pat McAfee in the pregame show on ESPN. You want to talk about opposites attracting right there. Like, that's a man who's done commercials with Deion Sanders, and it still right. felt like we found someone who is even more different from him than Deion Sanders sitting next to Pat. Yeah, I don't know if, I don't know if Pat McAfee's accomplished enough to, to make Nick Saban laugh. 
Like, I know he's, like, he's doing well. Like, he's doing really, really well. But next day, it's about the football field. And, and at the end of the day, Pat McAfee's a punter. Man, I, I don't know, man. Pat, Pat McAfee's doing pretty damn well in this line of work. I, I feel like I'll give him I, the credit on that one. I, I, I agree, but we're talking about Nick Saban here. And Nick Saban, the way he gives respect to Coach Prime, I, I don't see him giving that to a lot of other people. That was paid respect. We also have to remember true. that, too. True, true, and, true, true, and the, true. And the duck out there. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, Brandon, this one this one got a, certainly got away. Like, we can go for days lauding this Georgia team that now becomes the first team in college football to repeat as national championship since the 2011 and 2012 Alabama Crimson Tide. They're already, by every betting, I believe every sports book out there, the betting favorites to repeat in the 2023-24 national title season as well, despite the fact that they're going to lose Stetson Bennett, Jalen Carter, Keeley Ringo, a number of important starters they did last year off the best defense that we've seen in modern college football history and it didn't matter and they were right back here this year so not overly surprised certainly flowers to tcu and what they were able to do this season i know this is going to suck and i told a couple of my friends that worked around tcu you're only going to think about this game every day for about the next two years like (laughs) That's probably the shelf life of it. It's probably going to take you a good couple of years, especially if you worked for or were on the team. I, I don't tell you, man. It sits in there for a while. I Okay. Uh, somebody texted me the other day just randomly and was like, how often do you think about what you could have did to make it in the NFL? And they were coming from a position where they, I think, you know, they're um, uh, CrossFit heroes. Like, which is respectable, definitely. Cheerleader also at Notre Dame, so shouts out to Will Dodderwike. But he says he thinks about it every two years. As someone who just played in youth league, he thinks, and a little bit in high school, he thinks about it every two years about what he could have did to make the NFL. I say, yeah, it's about every two weeks to me. So, uh, it, 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 the closer you get, the 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 more you want to bite of the apple. Yeah, I, I mean, I also think that's like different for every person, by and large. Okay, okay. You know that's fair. Okay, well, well, I'm making the comparison for this sticking in oh. your crawl, losing to the championship. That, that's I was I was, oh, I was trying I, to make. Oh that. no, that that is absolutely. Well, yeah, you're right. Like when you see it closer, and I saw, I, I believe it was Chris Vanini from uh, the Athletic who put it out, and it's a question that I got a lot after the title game, and I'm sure you know gets revived that he revived now. Would you rather be a part of an historically excruciating loss, nail biter, the kind that Georgia suffered to Alabama in over? time when Tua threw that whole shot as a walk-off mm. touchdown in overtime or would you uh, or would you rather be on the end of an ass whooping like this like historically bad where you knew it was over a long time ago and I think the answers can be very different fan or player I will tell you there is no chance on God's green earth as a player I would want to lose an ass whooping over an all-timer I would rather have it come back mm. down to the very last play losing the most heartbreaking fashion but know that I at least handled myself as an equal out on the field versus what I've had to live with and what TCU will now have to live with and a host of others do you feel the same way every year oh yeah absolutely every year in high school my career ended with a first round playoff loss that usually ended in, in overtime so then I felt crushed but okay about that 
Yeah, I, I guess that's it, right? Like, you can feel it's that old Spartan line from 300, come back with your shield or on it. If I'm coming mm. back on it, there at least feels like there's some valor in that. That I was, right. that you know, because now TCU is going to have to hear a whole bunch of people talk about how they didn't belong and talk about how they weren't the second best team in the country, as if that matters. Like, they were the ones that got there. Michigan, that team that we love so much, that beat the Ohio State team that's so talented, didn't get there. And so TCU yeah. has my undying respect for that. What them and Sonny Dykes did this year was incredible. They should, at some point, they will be able to be proud of being one of the only two teams left playing on the last day of college football season and being an exclusive club of people that got to play in a national championship game. But right now, yes. that ain't going to work very well. Right now, as we're recording this podcast, they're off somewhere getting very sad drunk. But no one can take that away from you, Mike. And I'm talking to you. <laughs> oh, yeah. Look, again, like, I, I just, you know, I'm, I'm re-experiencing the trauma, which is something that I processed a long time ago. I will say that is the one thing I had to explain to, uh, to some of our uh, friends that weren't with us for that one last night is there's still a party that happens tonight. Oh, yeah. Oh, I like, mean, you the do season not- ended. Right, like that's that's the one part I also think that like sometimes in college or the NFL, a lot of like people don't get is like you've been working nonstop up yeah. until this moment for almost yeah. you have missed holidays, you have missed family events, you have sometimes missed classes, you have missed a lot of things along the way to get to that point, and so when you finally are done, done, you're going to blow some steam off, and like for us, we had. One way or another, we had the venue in an area set up where we were going to go and party. They had every, like, you had to go and have that stuff pre done out. We just had, you know, less celebratory music played while we drained a bunch of beers wherever we had had that set up in Miami. It was still a very long night. It was just a night where you're arm in arm talking about, man, what an incredible, because I had, you know, like, there's not much to say in the locker room after that one. It's like, hey, Incredible job this season. Seniors, thank you for what you've given to this program here. Everybody else will see you when you get back on campus. Like There really isn't shit all to say after a game like this. I, I've heard many a story about that party in Miami after that loss. And as I was taking my fifth year at Ball State, I never pined or wanted to be a part of that team until that moment. I was like, oh, I'll bet that party is really nice. I bet that was a really nice, sad party. Our buddy Pat McKillen, who played a lot of uh, played a lot of gigs around, he still does around the Chicago and Notre Dame area. Plays a ton of pep rallies. Was a few years older than us. Played a set there. I got a. I went back, so I had grown out my beard the entire season that year. And I said I was only going to shave it once we lost, and we just happened to go on the undefeated run, and we finally lost. It looked like a cat in the garbage can in our hotel room. <laughs> It was disgusting, and I walked down with a naked face, got drunk, and then got up on stage and sang "Colder Weather" with Pat McKillen at the end of that night because that was our, you know, song that just kind of, you know, was the thing for whatever reason. The song we sing at the end of weddings and shit too. So it, uh, it worked out there. So somewhere, TCU guys, again, you know, you'll have plenty of time to talk about that. You'll get to enjoy that while Georgia gets to enjoy cementing their place in college football history, covered in winter confetti as opposed to, unfortunately, the loser confetti, which is markedly less fun to experience being shot down around you yes but we have to shout out the tcu horn frogs and all they did traveling to the game i heard it was well attended uh even though georgia dwarfs uh tcu when it comes to alumni uh but shout out to liz moods over there at the volume of the Callan cowherd network over there she is a tcu alum was a cheerleader and she said uh, she tweeted after the game them boys are going to be exhausted trying to prove everybody everyone wrong again next season <laughs> 
Because, <laughs> like, you have to. You have to continue. Like, for the team that didn't make it, make it like, you have to continue to prove people wrong. Because everyone, there's a lot of people that still see TCU as, you know, whatever we saw TCU as before they got to the national stage. Which I think is dumb, quite frankly. Like, yeah, that's the way it is, though. Well, like, listen. I they, get, they did that to Notre Dame. They did that to Notre Dame, too. I, I get it. But that's like... I don't know. I, I hope that history will be kinder to TCU. I get there's a lot more baked in with Notre Dame, right? Like traditionally, mm-hmm. we're one of the teams that are supposed to be there. That is not right. TCU. What they accomplished is special, and they did it in year one of a new program. It's insane the way they went about going and doing that. And so that deserves a ton of credit. Even if as people look at this, people are, I'm sure, going to line this up as another reason why expansion is dumb in college football. It's never been about competition. It is about money and eyeballs and keeping keeping more people engaged period it is not about a different team winning the title if you want a different team to win the title fuck with scholarship limits unless you're going to do that accept the reality that the teams that have traditionally had better resources and better coaching are going to continue to have more of both no matter how nil is involved in this no matter if if you think that alabama georgia ohio state and then some version of like clemson or usc or whatever other team rises to power in that given time with a nice quarterback or a couple great recruiting classes that's how you view it good it doesn't change shit all about the reason that people decided to expand it doesn't change what will be appealing about expansion and some of the things that we might get as a part of that and it certainly doesn't change that right now we live in georgia's world until further notice it is theirs college football belongs to these guys right now i don't know how i feel about that i i i I love a power obviously we've lived in the power because the alabama the the stronghold they've had on us but it just doesn't feel right with Georgia because I just don't – I don't know. I guess I guess it's easier when it's one player, right? It's easier when it's like, oh, that's the Trevor Lawrence team or that's the Deshaun Watson team or that's, you know, the, the Tim Tebow team. When it's just a bunch of dudes, it's hard to wrap my mind around a little bit. When, it, when it's a machine and that's what Alabama was and that's what Georgia's become, it's a lot mm. harder to reconcile with. You're absolutely right. Like you think about this going back to the last time Georgia was at this spot here where they had Jake Fromm who they kept in favor of Justin Fields. Like Justin Fields ended up transferring off of that team. It is just different when it's the sum total of the machine around people. It is truly. But you know what, Brandon? Like I think we generally like to know who like – who the measuring stick is in the sport, right? Because then it allows every game they're a part of to feel big. It allows us to kind of know based off them. And so I think while the shift in power is a net good, I think this felt inevitable. It was so, I mean, it was so interesting watching Georgia fans process this because remember how close last year was. And you saw Georgia fans not have to sweat this one out at all. It had to be an incredible change of pace where you went from a team trying to exercise years of demons to now one that waltzed in and expected to wipe the floor in this game. I want to talk about Jägermeister. Dad, what do you know about Jägermeister? I mean, well, really, all I know is it's got a really awesome stag logo. What, What else do I need to know about Jägermeister? Well, uh, you should know that you've been drinking it all wrong this entire time. Damn, that's cold. There's a right and wrong way to drink it? Yes, there is, Dad. You should be drinking it ice cold at zero degrees Fahrenheit, to be exact. Huh? Well, you know what? That explains a lot. I've just been pulling it straight off the shelf. 
Oh, Dad, I'm so glad I got to you in time. No, that is entirely wrong. The only way to serve Jägermeister is ice cold. So wherever you're at, if you're hanging out with friends or you're at the bar or you're helping your dear sweet father try and get right, call the shots. Cheers with ice cold shots of Jägermeister. Damn, that's cold. And remember to check out Jägermeister at www.draftkingsxjägermeister.com. Remember, drink responsibly. Jägermeister liqueur, 35% alcohol by volume, imported by Mast Jägermeister US, White Plains, New York. Yeah, but I've told you, Mike, I don't like these. I don't like blowouts. I don't care if I'm a fan of the team. I'd rather a good game. And I bet some Georgia fans were missing a good game. Hell no. I can tell you, as a fan of a football team that hasn't won a title in a while, I would love to watch Notre Dame beat the daylights out of some team. I would love to start lighting up cigars in the second quarter. I would love to not have my heartbeat get above 75 during the course of a game. I don't need shit to be close. You know what I need? I need them to hand me the trophy at the end. I need a hat and a t-shirt at the end of that game. And I don't give like that notion of wanting to beat the best. No, hell no. I wanted to play Kansas state in 2012 because we would have beat their ass i'm sorry kansas state fans i know you hate me when i say that but i firmly believe it that's just my reality and i'll never have a chance to have to prove otherwise i wanted that i didn't want to have to play bama in that game screw that you did though yeah, we did. Uh, Brandon, before we get to uh, this, that, and the third and some NFL stories, did want to read some impressive <laughs> numbers uh, from this matchup here because this was truly an all-timer in a lot of ways. So, let's start with this. Georgia, this is all according to ESPN Stats and Info. Georgia has scored each of the last 42 points in this game. It was the longest uninterrupted scoring run in the BCS and CFP championship game history. Georgia, when they had scored only 58 points, had scored the most points in a BCS or CFP championship game in history. The 65 points they ended up scoring were tied for the most points a team has ever scored against an AP top five opponent. The only margin of victory over an AP top five opponent came in 1994 when, oddly enough, number one Army beat number five Notre Dame 59 to nothing. Ooh. Yeah. How about that? What do you mean? Army beat Notre Dame? Yeah, back in the 1940s. That was when the service caddies were really doing their uh, doing their thing. This one, Brandon, Georgia, their one-point victory in the semifinal game over Ohio State was the narrowest margin of victory in college football playoff history. Their 58-point margin of victory in the championship game was the largest margin in college wow. football history. Georgia's 29 wins are the most in a two-year span in SEC history and are tied for the most in a two-season span in major college football history. They are the fifth team in major CFP history to go 15 or 0 or better. And Brandon, this one, this one's the one that really fucked me up. This is courtesy of Matt Brown, not the uh, extra points Matt Brown. This is the Matt Brown that works over at The Athletic. TCU in the playoff gave up 110 points between the semifinal and the final. Alabama in the 2011 season overall gave up 106 points. Ooh, ooh, that's why. That's why uh, Marlon Humphrey said Alabama should have been in that game. They shouldn't have, right? But a lot of Alabama fans are, are chirping that. I'm, I'm, I'm sure it's it's very easy and fun to say that now because again, they do probably have one of the three most talented teams. You got to win the games, and you didn't win the games, so you don't get to do that. Mike, I, I can't. The fact that those two teams 
they talked about how different the teams were, right? The fact that the second one was better is crazy. Talking yes. about these two Georgia back-to-back championship teams. Like, that's – obviously, you can talk about the, the opponent, which you have to, but but damn. I don't – that'll be interesting how we measure these you teams. You don't think so? The, I mean, the defense is, is, is not the same, no. The defense last year was an unstoppable force right. of nature's fury. Right, but but still, they still got scored on versus the seven points that will be in the record book for this national championship game. Oh yeah, I I get it. Like, and I I understand they'll have that, and they listen. They deserve a lot of credit for that. Like Keely Ringo and a bunch of those guys got talked about in a very different way after how they responded against Marvin Harrison Jr., who's a transcendent talent. They went up against a really good player in Quentin Johnston this game, and Max Duggan missed a couple of throws on the run that he had to hit early in this one. But overall, that defense executed at a really high level. They are not the 2020, uh, 2021-2022 Georgia defense. They just aren't. So... But it'll be, I mean, regardless, they're in rarefied air now already. And Brandon, you brought this up to me. The moment with Reese Davis after the game that he talked about on the hit with SVP. What did Kirby Smart do down on the field that he talked about? So SVP was talking to Reese Davis and he said Kirby Smart had just left the field at the end of the game. And he was talking to some Georgia fans that was in the crowd and did the one and then put up the two because they just won two championships and then threw up a third, Mike. He he signaled three to the Georgia fans, and, and Reese Davis reported that the fans in the crowd went nuts at him throwing the three up as he jogged off the field. Master motivator. That guy gets it, man. He get he gets it at every level that you need to get it as a coach, as a tactician, as a motivator, as a recruiter, all of the above. It is staggering. And again, there's no reason to think they will not be back here in similar. And that doesn't make me any less excited. Like that doesn't dull what this college football season was at all to me, right? Because we've been yeah. used to it's it's robbing Peter to pay Paul. It's playing blackjack at the same table with your family. It's hey, we had two all-time great semifinal games where normally we have duds and then would get a good competitive championship game or something similar to that in the CFP era. We robbed Peter to pay Paul. We put one and just transferred that to a semifinal game and got to the championship game and got one of the games that we usually get in the semifinal here. Bad timing does not erase the fact that we had a wildly competitive season where we had upsets like Tulane in the uh, in the Cotton Bowl, where we had USC come back online, where we had Tennessee come back online, where we had all these cool, fun things happen, and that will like continue to happen in a sport that has transfers running amok especially at the quarterback position that can jumpstart shit young coaches that are popping up in different places here it's an exciting time and georgia starting to cement itself as a possible new dynasty i don't think makes that worse i think that makes it fun and i think it makes it exciting because now we're dealing with a new team that has finally risen up and taken the mantle from alabama versus clemson part one through four that we saw in the initial round of the cfp but I have a very strong problem with that team being an SEC team, Mike. Because what is it now? Four years in a row, SEC champions, uh, and that's that's the longest streak any conference has had gone uh, in this in this era. I, I had SEC already has just a stranglehold on college football. We know they're the best. I have an issue with the uh, a different team just being another SEC team. Someone's got to step up and do something, then. Like, and again, part of this is always going to be geographical recruiting hotbed regions all these different things that we talk about but at the end of the day i 
what I enjoy about college football, and this is, I think, where it differs some from most, because when people do that thing where they talk about like college football versus the NFL, we talked about it. The NFL is excellence. College football is chaos. But mm-hmm. I do love in these stages seeing excellence. And that's what you see with this Georgia team. It is mastery of their craft. It is otherworldly preparation, and it is excellence on display. It's future NFL players. These guys are on loan from the NFL at Georgia. And there is something really exciting about watching and seeing, all right, amidst all the chaos and the fun and the pomp and circumstance of the sport, how well it can be played by teams at the highest level. Yeah, that's why I did really like what Sonny Dyke said at the at the end of the game. He, he said, clearly, Georgia has a bunch of special teams, uh, special teams, a, a bunch of special players on that team, and and it, it showed, and it was it was clear. But also, I feel like if TCU maybe had uh, was it Keandre uh, Miller, Kendra Miller, maybe Kendra Miller. It may not have been a bigger difference, but like that's one of their special guys. You know what I mean? Like I, you want to see special on special, and I feel like uh, Max Duggan was was a little shorthanded. They TCU. The problem going into this game was if you just stacked special versus special. And I always said this: I did Thursday night games in 2020 during the pandemic season, so it was a lot of MAC games. It was a lot of Sun Belt games. It was awesome. I had a blast, and you get to know a totally different group of players and awesome stories from conferences that don't get nearly the same coverage as the other ones. And you look down there and you see guys that were former two stars, junior college transfers, and guys that will go on and play NFL football from that level all the time. Mm -hmm. And then I did the Peach Bowl that year between Cincinnati and Georgia and getting ready for that game as I went through the roster like I do all the time you are looking at a Georgia team that's three deep at five stars at every position where the backups Mm -hmm. backup was the number two player at his position in that class and he's waiting in the wings for his turn to go and do the thing it's just a different depth of that and that was what was on display depth and preparation against another team that just had not been to this level yet they were new here they had already overcome so much of the expectations and then they got to this level and when you miss a couple of those big opportunities early when you're the one suffering the talent disparity you don't get second chances of that that is not how that game works. So uh, again, yeah, yeah. Talent talent disparity is different than two teams that look like they have uh, two different nutritionists or two different training regiments. Like that was what I saw from TCU that you usually see from the teams that aren't like the big powers. Is like, oh, like I don't want to do it like this because we are two doughy people and we were proud. But like the players look a little different at that last game than the ones that end up winning that game. Yeah, listen, and, and again, we went through this in the Michigan game. TCU is plenty big in the right spots, plenty fast in the right spots, plenty strong in the right spots. But even with Michigan, I like a joke that Georgia was just giga Michigan. Anything you can do, I can do better. That was the Georgia way. And that is how, you know, that is you know, at every level of the operation. So what you're describing is real. It is the reality right now of those teams that are at the top of the sport. This is not the NFL where the roster talent is a lot closer across the board. Resource disparity in this sport. Congratulations to the Georgia Bulldogs, the 2023 college football playoff champions. Congratulations to the TCU Horn Frogs. Unbelievably fun season. Hypnotoed the vibes. All of it was a blast. I hope their fans had fun. I know their players are going to have a hard time dealing with it now. Eventually, you'll look back on this fondly too. Save all the gear that's got the CFP shit on it. It's the only stuff that you're going to care about. Before we move on, Mike, I saw a tweet that said, College football writers were in SoFi for the first time in mass, first time in a long time, and they said unanimously that SoFi is the best stadium in the country. 
What do you say, sir? Well, I guess it's best in what, like, probably, like, nicest. Because, like, it doesn't have, like, you know, it's, like, it doesn't have, like, the tradition of going into some other stadiums, right? Like, among Mm. NFL stadiums, like, going to Lambeau, way cooler tradition-wise. You can hear the ghosts there. That's what I always tell people. I got to play in Lambeau for the fourth preseason game. My last football game I ever played in was at Lambeau Field. You can hear the ghosts there. People always used to say when they came to Notre Dame, their coaches, I, Gabe Eichert, friend of the podcast, played at Oklahoma, and I remember him saying the coach, like, don't let the ghosts beat you. You got all this history around Mm. here. Don't let the ghosts beat you. And like the Coliseum is kind of special to go to for that reason. You don't think so? The Coliseum's got some history. Coliseum's a dump. Don't do that. Don't do the USC thing. I it can't can be a help dump it. and have history. It does. Ha- it does have history. It's got very nice. Okay. I I didn't revere that in the same way, but like you know the the big house. Um, going to mm-hmm. uh, Happy Valley to see Penn State this year. Those yeah. are. But like as far as nice new shit, the thing I will say unquestionably for SoFi in a world where we've seen a lot of people approach the jumbotron differently, the ribbon jumbotron that they've got in the middle, by far the best one I've ever seen in any stadium here. Better than Jerry's gigantic TV in Jerry World. Better than the stuff stuck up in the four corners at MetLife. Better than what they got in Vegas. That is by far the best way to watch a game on a Jumbotron in a stadium of anywhere in the country that I've been. And they have video inside and outside of the ribbon? Inside and outside. There is no bad angle for that thing. No matter where you are, wow. you can see a clear shot of that video. It is incredibly well constructed, incredibly pretty to look at here. The whole stadium is pretty. The press box is dope because they got a great dessert setup that's a lot like the snack thing that you see at the movie theater. It's incredible. <laughs> I also heard they have uh, outlets at for chairs plug your phone yeah that was one thing that started at mercedes-benz in atlanta that i noticed when the national the 27 title with mm. bama and georgia down there was there was never you were never more than i believe like six or eight feet from an outlet at any time they wanted you Ooh. to be plugged in no matter what so that place oh, was okay. incredible even if it looked like optimus prime's butthole from the sky okay enough about so far all right, enough about SoFi. Congratulations, uh, college football season. Don't cry because it's over. Smile because it happened. It'll be time for talking season before we all know it here. But Brandon, now it's time for a different kind of season uh, where I ask you the question. By the way, um, it should be noted, too, as we bet the title game here, uh, the under did not hit. Georgia hit the over all by itself in this game, yes. which is terrifying. But Georgia minus 12 and a half was what I expected going into this game. And so uh, split one and one on the bets for the title game. Uh, are you going to take these very detailed college football playoff notes to another podcast? Because these are great. I'm just looking at our doc and I was like, Ooh, yeah, I remember that. Oh, I remember that. Yeah, no, I was, uh, I was going off for a while while that game was still close because again, there were a lot of really cool things that happened to this game. It is fun to look at the trends of all this. Feel free to disseminate those at your leisure. If you are looking forward to it in the meantime, Brandon, uh, do you know what time it is? I do. I do, Mike. I think you know what time it is. Yeah, it be And the woman shout out. Who let the dogs out? Who, 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 who let the dogs out? This, that, and the third. Let the dogs out. Who, 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 who let the dogs out? This, that, and the third. The party was nice. The party was jumping. Aya, yippee, I O. Oh. 
For anyone that uh, has never heard us talk about it on this podcast, when Charlie Weiss is our head coach at Notre Dame, we got to make our pregame track list for uh, the stadium, what plays when we're warming up, going out to the field, what everyone gets to hear. And we would go and we would draw and write up names of songs on the whiteboard that we all wanted on there. And Charlie Weiss, who had come over from winning a Super Bowl with the New England Patriots, said there was only one song that he needed to have on there because it had been on their pregame track list with the Patriots, and it was Who Let the Dogs Out. And I love Coach Weiss forever. That man gave me a scholarship. He's someone I still talk to to this day, but it was really hard to look the other team in the eye when Who Let the Dogs Out came on <laughs> and we were in the middle of partner stretching. At, at, at that point in time, we were only about 10 years removed. Yeah. <laughs> That's one as swag surfing and plenty of these other songs who run this town tonight still get played in stadiums. Yes. I haven't heard who let the dogs out lately. That one may no. finally have been lost to the sands of time of stadium jock jams. I, I guarantee you it's going to follow around Stetson Bennett. Stetson Bennett, wherever he goes for these next couple of days, who let the dogs out. In this game, ironically, they both let the dogs out. And then late in the game, when they put in backup quarterback Carson Beck, called the dogs off. Mmm, very respectful. The NBA playoffs are heating up, and so is the action on DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. With same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more, don't miss out as the NBA postseason winds down. And now that the Boston Celtics have slayed the boogeyman in the Miami Heat, Boston fans will feel a little bit more confident about the situation. You can decide right now, and if you're new to DraftKings, you can also check this out. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get 150 in bonus bets instantly. So download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code GOJO. That's code GOJO for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just 5 bucks. Only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. That's 467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. As always, we appreciate if you download, subscribe, rate, and review Gojo wherever you get your podcast. Leave us a five-star rating. Leave us a review. Tell Brandon what a great job he did letting the dogs out. Brandon, let's get some NFL news in this, that, and the third and start with this. Uh, the Arizona Cardinals announced that they have fired head coach Cliff Kingsbury yesterday um, as well as uh, GM Steve Keim stepping aside. He had been already taking a leave of absence from the team. And so going back to this offseason, they had signed Cliff Kingsbury to an extension that went through 2026 with a team option in 27. They had signed Steve Keim through an extension uh, that also took his contract through 2027. His has been a health-related leave of absence. And they signed Kyler Murray. Now only one remains with the Arizona Cardinals. Mike, when did this happen? Because some are saying as soon as the homework clause got put into Kyler Murray's new extension contract, it was going to be curtains for either Steve Kime and Cliff Kingsbury or either or, but we know they're kind of a, a tandem deal. They're, they're buddies. But obviously Steve Kime is stepping away for health reasons is what is he saying uh, publicly. But... I don't know, Mike. I feel like this was always going to come, but I just, 
I just feel like they need to clean house completely. Like this is one of those things where you might as well let Kyler go too, or see what change exchange him for parts. Well, so I think the difference. I know is he's just, special. Well, it's just it's financial disparity though. They've got too much money tied up into Kyler Murray versus what they tied up even for extending a quality coach and or you know what you thought was a quality coach and a GM. It's right. just different than the money you've spent on a quarterback and what it entails at that position. Because I'm sure the way they looked at it again is he costs more than the rest of them. He plays a position that is comparatively hard harder to find talent at and this coach who came into this job after a sub you know a sub a subpar record at Texas Tech in college is someone that clearly at the end we heard from the reports that started to come out which seemed like they were coming from Cliff's camp that those two weren't getting along we saw some of that animus on display in the preseason they had to try and mix it up because the Cardinals have to try and salvage their investment that's the bottom line of this whether it's a good idea or not I don't really think we're going to see a ton of high-end success from Kyler Murray based on what we've heard about him and his role in a lot of this beyond a certain point. He's incredibly talented, incredibly gifted, but they've got to try. That seems to be what this is for the Cardinals is we've got to try something because much like we talk about with Russell Wilson and the the, uh, Denver Broncos, there's not moving on from this guy right now. No, but you can try so hard, but the guy who's talented – on the field when he ends up he can't he can't not be talented on the sticks either you know what i mean like when when you're someone's such a savant that they have to spread everything at all all places they're not specifically good at that one thing and that's what the cardinals need kyler murray to do they need him to put the baseball down they need to put the 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 playstation down and they need him to just focus on throwing the football and he refuses i thought you were gonna say you tried so hard I thought you were going to say you tried so hard and got so far, but in the end, it didn't really matter, and that you had to fall to lose it all, but in the end, it didn't really matter. In the end. I can say, this could be Cliff Kingsbury saying to Kyler Murray, I put my trust in you, pushed Mm. as far as I could go, and for all this, there's only one thing you should know. I put my trust in you. You got to say it again, yep. Pushed as far as I could go. For what? And for all this, there's only one thing you should know. I tried so hard and got so far. And in the end, I finished my Cardinals career with a record of 28-37-1. And And, uh, I already saw someone put it out there. uh, So let's just go ahead and embrace it fully. Uh, I believe, actually, this was uh, Stats of War. Our friend Parker Fleming, who had joined the podcast... Cliff Kingsbury, future Alabama offensive coordinator. I mean, there's a long line of successful coaches who have that uh, to their resume. Hey, Bill O'Brien was a former NFL head coach who has called Alabama's Nick Saban school uh, home for wayward boys, home for quite some time, and it seems like he might get to moving on here pretty soon. Cliff could slide right in there. Brandon, speaking of coaches that are looking to potentially move on here, um, we'll talk about potential options as you know we get into hiring season. It was Black Monday, so this is more about the firings that took place before we get to some of the interviews later in the week. Uh, let's get to that. Sean McVay, the Rams head coach, who will be missing the postseason after a wildly disappointing follow-up to their Super Bowl season, said that he will take some time before deciding his future with the Los Angeles Rams. 
Uh, he said, because I don't get a sense, uh, I don't get the sense in the least bit that I'm done coaching. It's just a matter of what does it look like as it relates to the immediate future is more what you're really working through right now. And Brandon, I saw Mike Florio from Pro Football Talk say a lot of this was about him not wanting to be a part of a rebuild right now. I likened it to mm-hmm. UI Goku yesterday. The first time you cross over to the realm of the gods, it's pretty hard on your body on the back end. They crossed over into the realm of the gods. They touched that Lombardi trophy, and now they're coming down on the other side choking on their own blood and Sean McVay is looking around and saying this is really hard and the work I am used to doing I am used to putting in a ton of work and seeing the outcome of that he has been a rampant success since he took over for the Rams as a 30 year old and now he's seeing how the other half lives and he's a guy that's got a bunch of options and people with options that are good at what they do are going to be able to get whatever they want out of this situation and that's just kind of the reality it's true Mike but it's a terrible look for us millennials. Terrible look. One of our one of our most successful NFL head coaches, like one won a Super Bowl, right? What is he like? Is he second or third, second youngest after Mike Tomlin, whenever he did it? Anyways, for him to have the success he had on the football field, and then he just needs to take a little break. He needs to take a gap year, Mike. Bill Belichick is somewhere cackling and rolling a blunt like he's like this is silly well you know what though it is kind of the difference and i've heard a lot of people talk about this last year when sean McVay was mulling retirement of the differences in generations Uh like these guys are approaching different uh burnout a lot like our generation is which is not Mm. chasing it which is not saying that working harder through not feeling great about everything and the way the process is going right now is what to do he's a guy that's looking around and saying man People want to throw me a bunch of money to potentially go do TV. I've made enough money to where if I wanted to just sit back for a while, enjoy being married, enjoy being rich and young and do all that, I can go and do that. And I'm so good at my job. Eventually, someone's going to take me back on the other side. And while it's off-putting for a lot of people to hear, because most of us aren't good enough at what we do to do what he can do here. And that's usually where the source of a lot of the anger comes from, when in reality, if most of us could, we would. But we can't so we don't and that's just the harsh truth of that is sean mcveigh whenever he if he does decide to step away whenever he wants to come back someone's gonna bend over backwards for him it's easy he's pulling the old urban meyer speaking of college football yeah i mean listen there is some of that too he's just not going to like talk about a you know an ailment as the source of that before he takes a year off for tv so good good yeah but but yes i I, i'm I, i would say this I think he'll be missed. If he does take his time off, he will be missed. Not necessarily in like an X and O's things, but he's just he's been a part of the fold ever since that first failed Super Bowl where he admitted that Bill Belichick like really effed him up mentally in like the media press conferences and all that stuff like that. I like him. I want to see more of him. Oh, I believe in him. I think we will. I think if he does step away, we're going to see him on TV. He clearly likes it. He's enjoyed it. He's mm-hmm. talked about that. And again, someone's going to be able to willing, willing to pay him handsomely because he's got rare insight into what it takes to win at that level. He's one of the bright young offensive minds, and he's a really good communicator. He's a really good personality that's going to pair well with TV wherever he goes. Like that's just the reality. The dude's got options, and, and man, having options has to be cool. <laughs> I mean, yeah, especially when you're that handsome and young. That is true. So uh, we'll keep an eye on that one. We've got that. I mean, we've got Aaron Rodgers mulling retirement also, who, you know, not really the same set of options, right? Obviously, the contract situation's different. But uh, Brandon, do you think oh, e- do you think 
either, neither, or both of those guys back next season? I think, I, yes, I'm sorry. I just thought about both of them being in with the 49ers, and my, my brain broke a little bit. Um, but I can't – yeah – both of them are back. It's it's the drug. I think I think Tom Brady showed us just how hard it is to actually stay away. And even if one of them do decide to be, well, quarterbacks can't come back like Gronk do in the beginning of the season. But if there's enough injuries, I guarantee you, and, and they get, get their number called. But I just don't think Aaron Rodgers wants to do anything else but play football. I would agree. I just it's it still seemed like it was very final in Green Bay. I wouldn't be shocked if both of these guys weren't on their current teams when it comes this time next season. But we will wait and see. And Brandon, we will get to the third instead. And we will look at the College Football Hall of Fame class for 2023. Headlined by Heisman Trophy winner Reggie Bush, um, who obviously had that Heisman Trophy vacated and should be returned post-haste because that man is the best college football player I have ever seen with my own two eyes. He joins Florida quarterback and Heisman Trophy winner Tim Tebow in the Hall of Fame, Syracuse defensive end Dwight Freeney, BC linebacker Luke Keekley, LaMichael James of Oregon, Michael Bishop from Kansas State, as well as Paul Johnson as a coach, Mark Richt as a coach. It is a stacked class, Brandon. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and, not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Brandon, for the YouTube audience right now, is T-Boeing. Uh, for the people just listening, you will have to enjoy this one uh, via audio. He's a legend, Mike. He's a legend. One of the best tight end quarterbacks ever to play the game. He deserves to be in the College Football Hall of Fame. Uh, I remember seeing him for the first time on Two-A-Days. Remember that MTV show oh, about yeah. uh, high school football? Ooh, goodness gracious. I I'm talking specifically about Tim Tebow. Shouts out to that soft-spoken uh, young man and making the College Football Hall of Fame. But Reggie Bush, obviously, is, like you said, the lightning bolt of that class. It was cool. I actually I got to meet Reggie Bush at the game tonight. And, you know, like we're, we're fortunate in this job. You get to be around a lot of people, meet a lot yes. of people. And in the world of sports, a lot of people after a while, I think, become pretty accustomed to it. That was freaking cool. Like getting to meet the guy that, again, without question, I never waver on this answer. In my lifetime, he is the best college football player I've seen. Nobody did the things on the field or made me feel the way watching the game, even as someone who hated the team that he played for. Nobody did it the way that Reggie Bush did. The single most exciting, the single best college football player, Vince Young, Tim Tebow, all the other people who want to throw at me are great players. They're not Reggie Bush in my mind, and that is just not a hill. That, that's a hill I will at gladly die on. He returned kicks and punts, Mike. Bro, like, well, <laughs> Just, I mean, entirely too yeah. well. Yeah, like, it was, was very was very gifted. Uh, I met him, I did a podcast with him about 2017, 2018. I had a Kanye West sticker on the, at the time on my laptop, which I covered up with a uh, Black Panther sticker because I think Reggie and Kanye has some history. 
if I remember around a specific person. So I, I didn't want that smoke. So that's yeah. my Reggie Bush story. Smart, smart move on that one here uh, for a full list of the <laughs> Hall of Fame class here. Pretty, I mean, again, stack Eric Berry, the former DB from Tennessee, Ooh. freaking Ooh. mutant. Michael Bishop, the quarterback at Kansas State. Reggie Dwight, Robert Gallery, the former offensive tackle from Iowa, one of the top picks in the draft back in the day as well. Michael James, we mentioned Derek Johnson, the Texas linebacker. Bill Collar, the uh, D tackle from Montana State. Keekley, Jeremy Mack. The wide out from Missouri back in 2007-2008. That's good. Yeah. I didn't know they were giving out. He was special to me, but I didn't know he was College Football Hall of Fame level. Uh, Terrence Mathis, Bryant McKinney, who is to this day one of the biggest men that I have ever seen in my life. Yes. The former Miami tackle. Corey Moore from Virginia Tech. Michael Stonebreaker, Notre Dame's very own. Uh, hey. Yeah, three-time All-American. Tim Tebow, Troy Vincent, the D- uh, the Wisconsin defensive back. Bryant Westbrook, yes. the former Villanova running back and Philadelphia Eagle great. And D'Angelo Williams, back, one of the original Memphis tote-ass running backs here. Memphis had some tote-ass dudes in the last few years. That was a tote-ass running back in D'Angelo Williams, man. Yes, I'm, that, that class is, is star-studded. I, I have to... Mention Eric Berry as um, Champ Bailey light when he finally hit the scene. I, it was, it was, yeah. Those guys, those guys really did make up college football for us as well. I know we mentioned about the pro football people, but like it, um, the coaches, uh, Monty Carter from Lakeland, uh, Paul Johnson, former Georgia Southern Navy and Georgia Tech coach, Roy Kramer from Central Michigan, and Mark Rick, Georgia and Miami head coach, who is a stellar human being, did a Man. phenomenal job at those Legend. stops. Um, Brandon, I will say Luke Keekley is one of the few guys on that list I actually played against. And I will never forget senior day in 2011 when we were playing Boston College. And Luke Keekley was the only like really star of note on that Boston mm-hmm. College defense. And every play, he would sit there before the snap and he would call out exactly where our plays were going. Now, we were better than their overall team, so the plays were still successful. Right. And a frustrated Luke Keekley would get up after the play and be screaming at his, I'm literally telling you where the play is going. And we're sitting there snickering because like, he's right. Like he's nailing all of this stuff. We had put in a play that we had never put on tape before, had not run before. It was a version of what we saw the um, the Detroit Lions run on second and 17 in their last drive against the Green Bay Packers to win that game where they threw a wide receiver screen out to the outside and then that Mm -hmm. wide out pitched it to a running back that was coming out of the backfield and ended Mm -hmm. up getting around the edge. We had had that same exact play set up. It was a tunnel screen that was supposed to get pitched to our running back. And I remember I was running out to try and go block on that. And all I saw was... Our receiver catch that ball, go to pitch it. Luke Keekley did not stutter. He did not break stride. He went sprinting past and tackled our guy in the backfield for a four-yard loss and got up and celebrated. That man was as smart, athletic, and dynamic as any college football player I ever saw on the opposite side of that field. Between him and Mark Herzlick, Mark Herzlick, before he dealt with his battle with yes. cancer, one of the best football players I've ever seen in my life, and two of those guys just happened to play for Boston College. It was incredible. Yeah, Boston College had a solid defense. I mean, I don't know if you remember, but right before we got there, B.J. Raji 
was holding it down. Oh no, it was when we the got there for Boston College. It was when it we. Was, got, yeah, was, it was my. It was our redshirt freshman year. I will never forget. I traveled. Yes. I traveled to BC that game, and BJ Raji and Ron Brace were on the cover of the media yes. guide back to back. And our dear friend Eric Olson was playing with a bad high ankle sprain in that game, and ended up all over BJ Raji's draft day highlight reel, and it sucked because I he mean, was playing through injury. I mean, BJ Raji was so good that they would. Put him at a five technique in the three four. Whew, he was he, he was nasty. He was a bad mother. Watch your mouth. Uh, but I was gonna. But oh, Luke Heakley. bad man. I, I honestly, I, I don't want to bring up Manti again. I feel like that was a big deal. I feel like Manti came back his senior year because. Keekley was the big was the big uh, linebacker coming out that year before. Luke Luke was a better player than Manti. I, I like I and Manti Manti's an all time great college football player. I just believe and it, listen, that was you know a guy that projected well to the NFL because like Andrew Luck, you looked at him and saw white gym rat coach like all the things that you normally yeah. ascribe to white tryhard players. Both of those guys were two of the best athletes to play their position when they were coming out. Yes, and but just most smart too. Yes, like just really, really smart players. Yep. Yeah. And obviously, this he's got this has to be the first ballot college football Hall of Fame level stuff, right? Like since we just played with them, I would imagine. Yeah, this is pretty close, pretty right. close to that. So, congratulations to everybody involved in that class. Congratulations to everybody who made it through the end of this podcast here. If you enjoyed it, we would appreciate if you downloaded, subscribed, rated, and reviewed wherever you get your podcast. Leave us a five star rating and a review. Check us out. Subscribe to the DraftKings YouTube channel. Check out the Gojo with Mike Golick Jr. page on there. Click all the like buttons there. Leave some comments. Make it feel good. Thanks so much. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Boom. Money in the bank.